Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And this is actually a bonus episode. So ordinarily, I only do one episode per week. But I recorded this interview with Reed Goosen several weeks ago and couldn't figure out exactly where to put it because it was focused on investing in the USA for foreign investors. And I didn't want to leave out all the rest of us Yankees for a whole week. So I decided to broadcast this ultimately as a bonus episode You know, going back and listening, it's actually not just a show for foreign investors. It's also a very interesting immigrant story. So I encourage you to listen to this, even if you are an American, for the purpose of getting back into your immigrant ancestors mindset. And that's always a good place to be because they're the scrappiest ones and they're the ones that we're in the country for. The reason why we've been able to be successful and America has been able to prosper. So I hope you enjoy this episode. But before that, I do want to remind you to go to WealthFormula.com and certainly consider downloading the special report on how to save thousands of dollars in taxes. Now, again, back to this episode, folks, especially if you are a foreign investor, listen closely to this. Really, it comes out to some very simple principles. It's not that hard for you to get established in the U.S., If you want to be investing in anything that we're doing here on the Wealth Formula podcast, whether it's through things that I'm sponsoring or any number of the people who are being interviewed on this show, you can get involved. It's not that hard. You just have to go through a few different steps. So if you're out there in Canada or in Europe, and we actually have quite a few listeners out there, listen closely to Reed Goosens and he'll tell you exactly how to do it after we come back. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. 
The wealth formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, I have a really interesting guest, a guy by the name of Reed Goosens, who is the host of a podcast called Investing in the U.S., which sounds fairly self-explanatory, I would imagine. So Reed is from Australia. He moved to the U.S. in 2012 and at that time was pursuing a career as a structural engineer. So he's a smart guy, I guess. And at that time, he also realized when he got here that he had a passion for real estate. And so coming from Australia without any credit, with limited funds, he went on from purchasing a small duplex and ultimately grew his own real estate investing firm and has been syndicating multi-million dollar properties. So welcome to the show, Reed. Thank you so much, Buck. How are you going today? I'm doing very, very well. So it's an interesting story, and I'm wondering if you can just give us a little bit more detail. So how you ended up getting here and sure. to where you're at now. Sure thing. I'd love explaining my story. So yeah, a little bit of background the whole reason I'm in the United States is because I moved here for love. My girlfriend, who's now my fiance, we met back in 2009 when I was backpacking through Spain, through Europe. And at the time we'd met and we'd stayed in contact for a period of time and she'd applied for university in Australia. I'd finished my travels in early 2010, moved back to Australia. I was working as a civil structural engineer and I really was already just a couple of years out of university, you know, just can't believe that I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life, the next 40 years stuck in a cubicle. And I thought I had a lot more to give and I knew I had a lot more to give. So I picked up the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the penny dropped. And from there, I then went out and started self-educating about real estate investing in Australia. And then when my fiance, who had moved to Australia, had finished her master's degree, we decided to just pack up shop and move to New York City. And New York City was a special place in my heart. And I really thought that I, you know, I love the hunger in New York City. You walk the streets and you, you just feel that vibe. So in early 2012, I didn't have a job. I, we just got packed up our bags. Uh, she was American, obviously. I was Australian, moved to New York City, found a job, thankfully. And within two weeks of being in New York City, I was at my first real estate investing uh, networking event. And Buck, I honestly thought Australia had some great networking events, but New York City, by gosh, it was on steroids in terms of networking events for real estate. And so throughout 2012, I had to really educate myself about the US investing market because it was completely different to what I was used to in Australia. And for all you the listeners out there, the barriers to entry here in the United States are a lot, lot lower. So I began to pursue educating myself about cash flow because, you know, as Robert Kiyosaki said, you want to get to escape the rat race and have enough passive income. So I definitely saw opportunities within sort of a short drive from New York City, about four or five hours in, in upstate New York, something there that I could purchase all cash. Because remember, I came to the United States and I had zero credit. I didn't have anything that I could go get leverage on. So I had to buy my first property all cash, which was roughly $38,000 in upstate New York and Syracuse. So, so that's sort of, a, in a nutshell, my story. And then I've moved on to, to syndication, which I'm sure we can, we can talk about in a little bit. 
Yeah, so why don't we do that? Why don't we take it to the next level here? Because before we get into the details, a lot of things come to mind for me. You know, one is you mentioned that the barriers for entry in Australia were a lot higher. What kind of barriers of entry were you having in Australia compared to the US? So from a macro point of view, Australia is a very arid country. The land mass is approximately excluding Alaska, the same size as mainland America. However, we only have 25 million people. So because of that, a lot of cities are landlocked and they're concentrated around major capital cities. For like a crappy place that you could buy, uh, maybe rehab, the minimum you're looking at is around $200,000. Like you wouldn't find something for $50,000 for a duplex and that, you know, has a gross income of 1200 bucks a month. You just wouldn't find that. And, and the ratio of, of, of rents to purchase price, i.e. cap rate, are a lot, lot lower because you're in major metropolitan areas. So that's kind of the barriers to entry that I was talking about. Yeah. So then tell me this. Obviously, you went from, you know, buying $38,000 houses to now doing what I'm doing, which is, you know, syndicating multi-million dollar apartment building. So how did that happen? And was that ironically sort of easier to do? (laughs) (laughs) I'm leading a question there a little bit. It definitely isn't easier to do. But I'll rewind to 2013. A buddy of mine came down from Canada. And I was like, look, I'm buying all these great duplexes. I, you know, I think I bought three at the time because I had purchased it, done the rehab, increased the cash flow, proved to the local bank, which is key here for all the international investors. This is what I did to get financing that I, that I could generate rent. And then they were able to refinance money out and I was then to, you know, hop to the next one and hop to the next one. So I had about three properties at this time and my buddy came down and we're having beers and I said, Mate, guess what I'm doing? Like, you know, chuffed that I had bought these three properties. I'm buying these great little cash flowing deals in upstate New York. And he pat me on the back and said, that's that's fantastic. I just purchased a 70 unit property in Canada and my mouth just dropped. And I said, how did you buy 70 units? What did you do? And he told me about syndication or OPM, other people's money. And he then spent the next hour explaining that to me and using the same principles that I was applying on the duplexes and triplexes that I was buying, but instead using on a 70 or 100 unit property the power of increasing the NOI and the fact that you had commercial financing, which is, you know, they underwrote the property rather than underwriting the borrower was really, really like it opened my eyes. However, in saying that, I had to use other people's money. I had to start syndicating. So what do I needed to do? I needed to go out and, you know, find someone, a mentor or a coach who was actively doing that because I had no idea where to even start. It was middle of 2013. So I went out and found a coach over the next 18 months I learned as much as I could. And in early 2014, I started my company, RSN Property Group. And by end of 2014, I developed some investors. And in early 2015, we went and closed on our first 250-unit deal in Houston, Texas. Now, that was I've skipped over a lot of years there. But yeah. in saying that, it's in a nutshell, that's kind of yeah. what it went, went about. Sort of what I was getting at, actually, was you know that None of this is easy, and and that's why not everybody does it. But one of the interesting things I think I wanted to just point out to our audience is that, you know, Reed pointed out that he had no credit, and, you know, because he's a foreign national, so he, he comes here and he's got no FICO score. Well, guess what? For a Fannie Freddie non-recourse loan, you don't need a FICO score. Exactly. Right? So here's what you need. If you're doing a non-recourse mortgage on a large multifamily deal, you need your sponsor group. So the people are putting together the deal. Their net worth has to equate the purchase price of the property. And you have to usually show about 10 or 15% closing liquidity. Okay. After that, 
there's not a whole lot of other things to qualify for these properties. So what I was actually thinking Reed was going to tell us is that actually it might have been a little bit easier in terms of at least the financing part, because as he mentioned, it's the asset that's really what these banks are looking at. And once you have a little bit of a track record and you've shown that you're not going to drive these things into the ground, it's actually probably a little bit easier to get financing. And the challenge then becomes, well, where do you get the money? And that's what syndication is all about. I think the mistake that some people make in understanding what syndication is, okay, because you might have heard that term a lot. Syndication is simply the putting together of funds and a net worth to acquire property. And the business of syndication is actually really about raising money. That's what syndication business is. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would completely agree. And I'd like to just add that the whole reason I started syndication was because I saw a need in the market. Being an international investor myself at the time in 2012, before I had a FICO score and all that stuff, a lot of my international colleagues who were coming to the United States was 2012, 2013, and buying these small single-family turnkey properties with limited access to capital. And I just thought, well, one, it's high risk to be buying a single family in you know the Midwest for $50,000 to Section 8 tenants. And two, why not I start syndicating and offer, be the boots on the ground and have the access to the capital. And so international investors don't need to worry about that. So that was sort of my why to start yeah. RSM Property Group. So, and it's also your why, I presume, in your podcast, which is investing in the U.S. So Correct. let's shift a little bit here and talk about that. So I had mentioned earlier that actually, when I first was talking with Reed about coming on the show, I was thinking, well, what value is that going to have for my show, international investors? And then I went back and I looked at my own audience. You know, it was several thousand downloads last month, and. of them were outside of the U.S. So, hey, everybody, I I didn't know you were there. Thank you very much. A lot of people in the United Kingdom, a lot of people in Australia and Canada. So this show is perfect for you because here I am. Buck, Buck (laughs) has given me lots of things I can invest in, lots of people he can talk to, and he knows, likes, and trusts. But how the hell am I going to invest in that from out of the country? So that's what Reed's here to tell us all about. So, Reed, what are the challenges for a foreign investor to come into the U.S. and invest in a private placement? Because that's really what we're talking about. Everything that I talk about is private placement. We don't believe in Wall Street, stocks, bonds, and the collective thing that we call garbage. So tell us, what do foreign investors need to do? What's the first step? What are the challenges, et cetera? Let's break it down. I'm glad you asked it because part of what my business and investing in the US, my podcast, is all about educating international investors about the pros and cons and what pitfalls to avoid when investing here because I went through those pitfalls as an international investor when I first moved here. So the reason was the why was to start the podcast because it was a niche area that no one was really targeting. The second thing is, When you're an international investor, you need to come to the United States. There's a few things you need to get set up before you can just start investing in a private placement memorandum or in one of Buck's investments or one of my investments. There's there's a few little hurdles you need to clear. So if you're calling Buck and saying, hey, I want to get involved in your next apartment deal, just pump the brakes a little bit because you have. there's probably about a six to eight week period where you need to get a few things set up. Those things are as follows. The first thing you need is to set up an LLC, a limited liability company here in the United States. Foreign nationals can be members of LLCs, their own LLCs. So if people out there tell you that you can't, that is 
hogwash. You can, otherwise international business wouldn't exist. The second thing you need to apply for is an ITIN number, an individual tax identification number with the IRS. And that is a number that says, hey, IRS, I'm a foreign national, but I'd like to pay taxes. The IRS is going to be more than happy to accept your taxes. So that's the second piece of, and both those two things take a bit of time. They don't just, you kind of snap your fingers and you have those two things set up. The third thing is you obviously need bank accounts because that's very, very important. Now, the US has tightened the screws on opening bank accounts from abroad. So I always recommend on my show that if you are investing in a private placement memorandum, if you are investing any, in any, even if you're not investing in a private placement memorandum, you need to get here and get boots on the ground a little bit and check out the local market. I will always recommend that. And so when you're here, I always then recommend to go into a local bank with your LLC already established and show them that, hey, I'd like to open a, a business account as a foreign national. And nine times out of 10, most local banks will be able to accommodate you. So that's the third thing. The fourth thing you need to do is obviously then foreign exchange. That's where I work with a lot of foreign exchange companies to then help international investors bring capital into the United States because, again, that is also a process and takes a, you know about a few days. And you can do bank-to-bank transfer once you've got your bank account set up. However, the fees and transfer, the rates aren't the best. So I work with a few different companies that lock in really, really competitive rates where the market is right now, and that can aid with transferring money to and from the United States. Another cool thing is some of those foreign exchange companies can, if you haven't been able to get to the United States, they can act as sort of a holding bank account on the state side and they can receive funds and they can distribute funds to wherever it needs to go for a period of time. I think it's about six to eight months. But I do recommend that you get to the United States at some point for a trip, for a holiday and go see the property and then also at the same time open up a bank account. So in a nutshell, Buck, there's sort of four major steps that all international investors need to go through before they sort of got their their back end ready to then go and invest in a syndication or even invest in, in a single family property. And I always say that regardless if you invest with me or not, you still need all this stuff set up and, and you can then go and buy whatever you want. Now, is there somewhere on your site where you can facilitate some of these things or help people through that process? Yeah, that's part of my business is that. And I work with third-party professionals who only deal with international investors. I work with CPAs uh, who help me with the ITIN and LLC setup. And I also work with the foreign exchange companies. The bank account stuff is a little bit more hands-on and that's where I come in and I'll be able to guide you depending on where the asset is located. We've got places in Texas that that have great branches that work with international investors, Texas, Kansas City, not Illinois yet, but we will, Philadelphia. And there's in general, most banks will accommodate as long as you are physically present in the United States. Well, so there you have it. Now you can go and do that. And basically what you're doing, what it sounds like to me, and this is really good to know for me too, because up to now I don't, you know, I've got half my audience out there in in the rest of the world. And I don't know that any of you are on my investor list, maybe one, I think, but that was somebody who was actually stationed somewhere else. But at any rate, the key here is that it sounds like a lot of work and there may be a little bit of work up front, but essentially what Reed is talking about is establishing a company in the U.S. that is an investment company. And once you've established that, then, you know, you're off to the races. So it's not like you're going to have to repeat this every single time. Is that right, Reed? That's correct. You hit on the head there, Buck. And there's some upfront, you know, a couple of grand that you all international investors are just going to have to accept that it's going to cost. It's not for free, so it's probably in the order of around two to three thousand dollars. That's just that's just an upfront setup fee to get your, your LLC set up, to get your IT numbers, to pay the the professionals to do that. 
But once you have that set up, you can then inv- you can fund that LLC and you can invest in Bucks or my private placement memorandum. You might go off and buy an apartment building yourself after a couple of years of establishing some business credit with your local bank. So there's a lot of options out there just about getting started. And, and a lot of people don't understand that first step, which is where I like to come in and hopefully can, can help a few folks out there um, if they are interested. So what's the issue with leverage once you have an established, you say you've invested in a few things in the U.S., presumably through private placements in a syndication where you weren't really needing the leverage or you got the leverage vis-a-vis the sponsor, which is what you're doing in the situation. If you want to start you know, going out and doing your own thing and getting leveraged that way, how do you do that? Or is that... Uh, I mean, you're limited to a certain extent, are you, you not? Are, you are limited. You are correct. As a limited partner in a, in a syndication, there is only certain limit. You can show that you have a K-1 or you have income coming from that syndication. But in terms of leveraging, say say you had $200,000 in a syndication, you couldn't just go then leverage against it as, an, as a limited partner. So, But you could show that you've got business credit here that, oh, I've, I've been earning, I've been two or three different syndications and I'm you know, I have six hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars deployed, and I have all this income coming in. You could show a local bank, but then you'd probably have to use additional capital to, if you wanted to, branch out on your own to go and buy, say, uh, a twelve unit or twenty unit or a fifty unit property. But I know that there's a lot of international investors out there that are moving back the regulation part of it, the SEC, that it's called Regulation S, S for Sam. In the United States, here for all those international investors out there, there's the accreditation and non-accreditation. And if you are an American resident or any American investor and you are partaking in a Regulation D offering, whether you're international or American, I should say, you have to abide by those accreditation laws, which is $200,000 a year in income or a minimum of a million dollars net worth. However, there are what's called Regulation S, which is purely for international syndications. Now, that can't involve any American's at all, any American investors. So, and they are then exempt from those accreditation laws because essentially the SEC has set up those laws in order uh, to, you know, make sure to protect the American people. Now, I'm not a lawyer and I don't pretend to be a lawyer, but I have done this a lot. And I work with lawyers all the time who advise me on what different regulations and types of regulation D or regulation S I should be raising under. And as I grow, I'm getting more interest from international investors. And there may be a time where I just do one offering under Regulation S. I haven't done it yet, but it's definitely an interesting aspect out there for any syndicator, including yourself, Buck, when you come to think about just maybe purely raising capital from foreign investors. Let's go into that a little bit more because I know that there's actually a number of people on this program who listen to this program even who are active sponsors themselves. Mm -hmm. And it gets a little confusing, right? If you're doing an offering, it's an accredited investor offering, and you've got foreign investors, it's easy to show that you make $200,000, $300,000 per year. You have a net worth of a million dollars. I mean, that's what the accredited investor is. But what the heck is an accredited investor in the UK, especially with currencies going up and down and and all that? I mean, exactly. It's the same rule of thumb, right? Like you need to have a net worth of. Yes, it gets in a gray area. But what I'm trying to get at is that if you are accepting any American investors, you have to do a regulation D, that full stop. And that will then open you to all the accreditation. And so if you then accept international investors. Typically, my international investors have all been worth a million dollars or more. So, in terms of that exchange rate stuff, like you know, $200,000 qualifying, it hasn't really played into it. I would seek legal advice on this, but the SEC has created those laws to protect American citizens, hence why they've created a separate regulation, Regulation S, if you're just purely under raising capital from international investors only. And that's very, very key because 
as soon as you accept someone who's American, that just changes it all completely. So please consult your SEC attorney uh, if you are listening out there and you want to want to learn some more about Regulation S for Sam. Really interesting stuff. So for those of you out there who've been listening to my shows again, all of what Reed is talking about is applying to pretty much everything that you're hearing. I mean, I'm interviewing people on a regular basis, whether it's people who are you know, talking about debt, who are talking about mortgages, et cetera. As you know, some of them have had requirements of being an accredited investor and some have not. But either way, if you want to get involved with these things, you have to go through this process. And it doesn't sound overly laborious, but you know, I think the opportunities here are great. So it might be certainly something to think about. Now, let's talk a little bit about a practical standpoint of, of investing as a foreign investor. Now, how does the U.S. look at taxes? I mean, you know, obviously you're going to pay corporate taxes, which yep. is tricky. So do you have to be an LLC or can you be a C-Corp or could you be? So, yeah, when I said LLC, I jumped the gun a little bit. There's entities in which you can invest in. And, and again, my third party lawyers and CPAs that I work with who consult with my international investors will advise them on the best mm-hmm. situation for them to get set up in. But in terms of taxes, the IRS is looking at these international investors like an American citizen. And really what it comes down to is, you know, you're going to own it in an entity to try and reduce your spending on the property if you own it in an LLC and you want to, you know, all the depreciation benefits of owning real estate. Where it really comes down to is when connecting with your home country. I know for a fact in Australia, Canada, and England, I don't quote me on anywhere else, that the US has a tax treaty with those particular countries and that if you earn money in the United States and you pay taxes on it, you will get a credit in your home country. Again, you will need to have a two CPAs set up, one in your home country, and please go and you know talk to them about that you're thinking about investing in the United States, how will that affect your tax bracket in your home country, and you'll also need a CPA stateside, and that's where I help on linking everyone to make sure that they've got the right information. So, Reed, I know you're not a tax attorney and stuff, but I'm just going <laughs> to drill down on this a little bit sure. more because I know I can just think of questions that I have if I was listening to this right now. Yep. Okay, so... I'm thinking I'm sitting in the UK right now and I'm thinking, you know, Buck's had a lot of people on this show and he talks about himself about how investing in the US and multifamily and real estate, sometimes you might not end up having to pay any taxes at all because of all this depreciation and all this stuff he talks about. And so if I get tax free income in the US because of the US laws, Does that mean that that income isn't going to be tax-free when it gets back to Australia or to the UK? Or do you have any idea or any experience on that? Yeah. So typically what most of my investors, when they come to the United States, they're bringing capital here for a period of time. They're going to bring it here for a, you know, five, 10 years in order to grow a nest egg in US dollars. One of the things we didn't talk about is the benefits of investing in the United States. One is obviously is a safe government. Two is the the yield that you get on your investment. But three is the fact that you have your money in American dollars, which is the major currency in the world. So a lot of people do bring it here and they leave it here and they may come and use it for holidays or they may come and use it to buy more real estate investments here in the United States that continue to cash flow. Uh, then when they take it out, that is when you need to be advised, you know, you have your local CPA in Australia or in England or in Canada advise you on what does that mean when it hits your Australian bank account or your UK bank account, because that will be looked deemed an income from an investment overseas. And, and I don't want to, you know, misspeak because I just don't know enough about those individual countries' own tax laws enough to say that what happens when you take cash flow from a property back to your home country. So that's good stuff. Now, read the dollar right now is actually right. really, really strong. 
right? I mean, it is crazy strong. And so one could make the argument that, you know, Americans are looking out of the U.S. to invest because they're trying to leverage the idea that, you know, their dollars are worth more right now and that they may not be in five years. And then they're trying to, you know, amplify results on that. I mean, a perfect example is my friends, Robert and Russ at the Real Estate Guys, who've got a project in Belize as a development. And one of the reasons that they are doing this, and we're going to talk with them in in the next uh, several weeks about this is because of the strong dollar. How do you see this whole thing? Yeah, that's a very good question. The, the greenback, i.e. the US dollar continues to grow, particularly against currencies that I'm dealing with a lot with the Australian and Canadian and the British pound is still strong, even though after Brexit, it did take a hit. I have seen a lot of money stop or not stop and just quell the flow because of that transition. Go back to 2012, 2013, when the Aussie dollar and the Canadian dollar was nearly on parity with the US. There's a lot of money coming. However, I try to tell people when you there is that barrier of like, oh no, I'm going to lose 30% of my money. I say you can't play both games. You can't be playing the investment game in real estate and also the foreign exchange game. You just can't. You either want to invest in the United States, you want to bring capital here, end of story. And in terms of looking at the other way, I'm definitely looking back home to Australia because, again, I'm an Australian citizen. I have contacts back there. The Australian market is a little different, and there's definitely going to be opportunities in the near future where investing abroad may be a good way because the American dollar is so strong. Again, I would be leveraging someone who would live in Australia who has developed all that credit scores and stuff like that. I have credit scores back there, but if I was investing in, say, Canada, I would do the same sort of thing. I would look for a syndication or a buddy of mine who who invests up there who has that local knowledge and has the access to capital so I could then leverage that and bring capital into foreign markets and then diversify my investment portfolio and then hence reduce risk. So in terms of the Real Estate Guys Radio, I wasn't too sure about how they got their Belize capital, but that's a very, very interesting idea that the fact that the American dollar is so strong to then take it to a country like Belize, again, stable government, I know. I don't know how they got debt on that. but um, There's and, no and, debt. Oh, really? and, wow. and now I'll let Robert and Russ talk about this in particular, but that's one of the plays in some of the foreign markets, which is that, as you know, once you introduce debt to a market, assets inflate in price. So currently in the Belize market, there is not debt. And therefore, the returns that you're getting are you know, without leverage. But the idea being that it's imminent that debt will arrive and those asset price will inflate. So that's that's the concept there. Got it. Are they transferring capital out of it once the project's complete? I don't know their entire plan, but okay. we certainly will drill down on that when they're on the show, which we're, which I'm pretty excited about. I think they got some really cool stuff going on and they're really good guys. So let me ask you this. Is there any restrictions on what foreign investors, well, you may not know for all countries, but let's just take Australia and the UK. Is there things that you can't invest in? Good question. Because I only invest in real estate, there hasn't been any issues with real estate. I know there's obviously some restrictions in terms of certain businesses. Again, I'm not going to speak on to the, which those sure. businesses are. But in, in general, I haven't had any restrictions in terms of capital, how much capital you bring across. As long as you do it all through the right avenues and conduits, i.e. through foreign exchange accounts, and, and you declare that you're doing it for a business purpose and you're investing in, in, and you can show the asset you're investing in, there's no issues. I have, you know, I've run into 
questions from the foreign exchange companies that say, why are you transferring half a million dollars across? You know, what's this asset for? But as long as you can show that, hey, I've got this LLC set up, I'm wanting to invest in Bucks syndication or in Reed syndication or in Joe Blow's syndication, uh, or I'm buying my own asset, then that's they're completely fine. As long as they can prove to the American government, because that's what they need to prove, is that this money is not being laundered and is not fraudulent. So that's kind of the only restrictions that I've seen so far. This is good stuff. So tell us a little bit more about your show. Sure thing. So we do a weekly show where I interview. I've interviewed you, Buck, and you're coming up in the next, I think you'll be coming up in early in the new year. We interview other industry leaders. Again, people that I trust, that I know I've been referred to from other people that I trust. I'm very, very conscious of my network. I know that when I first moved to the United States, there, there are some sharks out there. So I try and only interview credible people who, who are really killing it in their, in their businesses. And we talk a lot of different aspects of how to get set up. When If you go back to the beginning of the show, which I started in early 2016, I walked through all the, the concepts of LLCs and ITIN numbers and ta- US taxation. So there's some good early on shows. We're now divulging into other really great stuff that I love talking about in terms of cash flow and how you can invest in different products and how the syndication works and the, the power of commercial real estate. So we try and keep it pretty fun and light. And um, I try and use my Australian-ness <laughs> with all my interviewees. Yeah, we have just a really, really good time. And we try and do the show for about 45 minutes. And I always enjoy some feedback. So if you do ever listen to it, please jump on iTunes and give some feedback or even you know tweet at me if you want and uh, let me know your thoughts. Yeah. Speaking of Australian-ness, I got to tell you, I saw the funniest video. I'm going to post it on Facebook. By the way, if anybody wants to find me on Facebook, just search Buck Joffrey and friend me. I pretty much friend anybody, so except for the ones that are clearly porn-related. <laughs> <laughs> I'm selective on those. But at any rate, I'm going to post it. But, but it was this hilarious video about this guy. This is in Australia in this kangaroo. He's oh, got, I saw that. You saw that kangaroo has yep. this dog in a headlock. He has his dog in the headlock. And he's coming to save his dog. And the kangaroo basically drops the headlock. And now the kangaroo and the guy are literally boxing. And the guy, the guy punches the kangaroo. And <laughs> it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. So anyway, if you want to see that, I'm going to post that and, and friend me on Facebook. Here's the thing, guys, if you're listening out there now, if Reed can come across the ocean here, the other side of the world, and be a huge entrepreneurial success, invest in things and sort of in very short order, live what I call the American dream. I mean, listen, my dad, you, for those of you who've heard my story, my dad did this in the late 60s and became a real estate millionaire coming from a very poor family in India. But listen, this is uh, the power of that sort of animal spirit of the immigrant. And it's easily harnessed. You, it's all there in us because we're all immigrants in the U.S. We're all you know, children of immigrants or grandchildren of immigrants or whatever. And you just look at what he's done in the short period and you just think, well, gosh, I mean, maybe I should get up and do something, right? So the lesson here is, again, is to take action. And now if you're an investor overseas, which now that I know, you know, half of you out there are listening to me are overseas, this really opens everything up, right? You've been listening to this show and there's lots of opportunities and Reed has given you a pathway into these investment opportunities. And You know, Reed and I have talked about this before. You know, the dollar is very strong right now, and sometimes that can be a little bit of a limitation. 
But the good thing is that I firmly believe and as a, you know, of a son of immigrants and who's seen the American dream and who's lived it 10 times over myself, that this is the country to invest in. It is the biggest economy. It is the greatest opportunity. I'm not saying that, uh, that we're better than everybody else. It's just reality right now. This is the place to be. And if you're looking at the world as an unstable place, well, if the U.S. goes down, the rest of the world is going down, too. So this is your best shot. <laughs> so, exactly. Anyway, listen, Reed, thank you very much for being on the show. And I do appreciate it. It was good talking to you. Hi, mate. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to when it comes out. All right. We'll see you all again next week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.